one of the difficult decisions, which then ended up being the best decision for everyone involved, was uh, based on a lesson that I learned from my dad's business. And it was about business partnerships and especially your co-founders. So uh, my dad's always had a business in uh, automotive business, spare parts. And when Italy, I was... right? You're yes, originally yeah, from Naples. Yeah, 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 in Italy. So before I was even born, that business was extremely successful. My dad was in his like late 20s, early 30s. Everything was going great. Then I was born and things started to fall apart. <laughs> Just at the right timing. Uh, because of a bad partnership. Uh, and, and, and because nothing was regulated. So I don't think at the time my dad knew about shareholders agreements or anything like that. So think that the business went bankrupt because of a business partner, poor decisions. And obviously that affected my entire life and financial distress and the way I grew up. But that was a lesson that I've learned very, very early in my days. Hey, I'm Renita, and you're listening to The High EQ Founder, a podcast about leveraging your emotional intelligence so you can evolve faster and level up as a leader. Today, I'm speaking with Bianca Cefalo, the CEO and co-founder of Space Dots, who's working to accelerate innovation in space by reducing the development time of new materials from years to months. We talked about the painful childhood lessons she learned from her father's failed business and how it helped her part ways amicably with a co-founder, how she doesn't let emotions get in the way of important business decisions and the hiring mistake she almost made and how she's learning to trust her gut in a competitive talent market. Enjoy my conversation with Bianca. So when we watch these videos of rockets and satellites being launched into space, most of us don't think about what special materials are those rockets and satellites must be made of to be viable in space. You know, this very harsh, unforgiving environment. So of course they have to be rigorously tested and traditionally testing these advanced materials in space cost millions of dollars, took uh, years before the technologies were ready for the market. And in 2022, Bianca, you and your co-founders launched Space Dots to create yeah. the first ever in-orbit solution for testing these advanced materials in a way that's faster cheaper and simpler. Yeah. And when I look at your background, you know, you have this master's in aerospace and astronautical engineering, 11 years plus years in the industry, working with some of the traditional players like NASA, Airbus, uh, Space UK, as well as, uh, you know, startups like Car mm -hmm. Ice. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious, at, at what point did you identify this problem? How did you recognize it and then make the huge decision to actually try to solve it? Yeah, so that's, it's a great question. And the way we got to, well, what we're doing today, it's, it's really been, I think, um, uh, um, a connection, connect, connecting all the dots, no pun intended. <laughs> <No> <laughs> throughout my my entire career so 
I'm, um, I'm specifically in the space industry, I've been a thermal engineer. So I've been working on designing analysis, testing, qualification of uh, products and materials for thermal control of spacecraft. And so throughout my career, moving from science missions like Martian missions, working on concept for um, using regolith of the moon to store and create energy and then moving mm. on to more commercial and defense stuff like uh, next next telecommunication next generation telecommunication spacecraft um small sat constellations i've seen throughout the r d process let's say that we were using lots of margins so anytime you are doing an analysis or you're creating a thermal model of a, a new spacecraft or a payload or whatever, obviously you need inputs on what are the materials properties. Most mm. of them were dated back. I was using um, a, a handbook, a book, which is like very huge and it's called the spacecraft, uh, spacecraft Thermal Control Handbook. And it was written in the 90s. So most of the properties of those materials were really dated back into the 90s and it's, they're still used today. And it's not even about the outdated data that we have on the materials, but it's also about the standardizations of how we analyze model and test and qualify materials. Most of the novel materials are not even there. So basically I realized that the more I was analyzing things with a lot of margins, most things didn't match up. And then this was even worse when I was getting downing data from a spacecraft that was flying and I needed to check that everything we'd been simulating and testing and, and analyzing was actually in line with what we predicted. And again, there were huge margins, I think more than 50% mismatch between the performance that you see on orbit and what we actually predicted, which mm -hmm. is at the basis of failures, over-designing, over-analyzing, and all of that. So having moved then to Airbus Defense and Space, where my job was literally to create roadmaps to use, to, to implement novel materials uh, development for the next-gen satellites in order to make them lighter, obviously cheaper, but essentially more powerful. And I realized that, especially when I was at Airbus, where then I met my co-founder, James, was working mm -hmm. on the structures of the spacecraft, that most of these novelty, like 3D printed materials, metamaterials, 2D materials, nanomaterials, nanocomposites, all of those, uh, obviously have a huge, can have a huge impact on where we are going in terms of space industry as a whole, but the pace of procedures and processes at which the space industry has been running so far is not really matching up to the massive pace at which material sciences is developing. I always say, if you look at the Formula One car, that's a more sci-fi system mm. than a spacecraft that we've launched into space in terms of materials and, 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 uh, and progress on manufacturing techniques. Uh, and so I realized, how is this possible that there is so much untapped potential and still we are relying on outdated processes and procedures and standards which are not harmonized internationally? I was really frustrated by uh, a specific, uh, um, one specific development, which was an adhesive based on graphite, graphite flakes, 
which was meant to reduce mass because adhesives are used a lot into, um, especially the telecommunication spacecraft to glue heat pipes. And, and most of this adhesive was based on a silver, a silver based paste, which is obviously very expensive. It's very heavy, much heavier and more expensive than some that would be made out of 2D materials, paste and mixes. And it was so frustrating to see that after more than five years, millions of resources spent between the supplier, Airbus Defense and Space, the entire community, it never flowed. And so during the pandemic, uh, we had a lot of time on our hands to think mm. about this problem. <laughs> and it was 2020 when myself, James and another, it was at the time our third original co-founder, started thinking about these problems every end user in the space industry, whether there was Northrop Grumman, Talisa in space, Lockheed Martin, all of them didn't trust the data sheet because obviously there was no third party agnostic elements mm -hmm. giving data to the end users and to the material suppliers. So all of the end users like prime industry, they had to repeat their own qualification in in house to make sure that the material supplier was giving a data sheet that actually matched the performance that they were willing to see. It's a mess and it's a lot of time spent on both sides just to adopt and to commercialize a material that obviously, obviously has potential to change the way we are designing architectures for space. And so Space Dots was born with the idea of why don't we just test in space materials that need to be used in space? That seemed very logical to us. <laughs> Simple. <laughs> Got it. And what strikes me is that you really had the opportunity. This was not an impulsive, you know, weekend decision. This was years and years of you mm -hmm. having up-close experience with different angles of the problem from different sides. So you really got to understand uh, why it was a problem and what the solution, the best solution might be. And as, as often seems to be, it's not the lack of technology, it's the human element, it's the, yeah. the legacy structures in place or the lack of infrastructure, which is so complex. Yeah, it is, it is. That's mm -hmm. literally space dot started as, as a solution to us as product managers in a big corporate. And I wish Space Dots existed at the time I so bet. that I could just implement in my own developments with my own teams uh, these specific elements of testing so that I didn't have to go around uh, hundreds of test facilities and booking them and staying into the backlog and understanding what's the What's the error on your thermal vacuum chamber? How do uh -huh. I, how am I looking at the margin? So, so literally it started as a solution for our own frustration, which is ending up to be a frustration that is just widespread across the industry, right. which is great because obviously we can make it as a venture scale business, hopefully. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. obviously we, we are working on a technology and our own IP and the hardware that is going to enable the solution. But mainly we are working towards changing the mindset of how things have been done so far. And that requires probably a lot of education as well and, and a lot of understanding how, do the, how does the end user feel when mm -hmm. you talk to them 
and what's really the problem and the struggles that they are having. And when we talk to so many end users in the prime industries, they are so emotional about the fact that this is my job and I really want to make these happen, but I can't because the status quo is just making my life miserable. And, and so it, it is a mindset shift uh, more than a technology shift, which is very mm -hmm. interesting to approach from this perspective. Yeah. And just think how much friction you're removing from the process of this already very difficult thing, putting objects into space. We don't need more friction. So that's amazing. Um, so uh, let's let's keep going along this path of the human side of, of deep mm -hmm. tech, developing new technologies. Uh, two years into building this startup, I'm curious, you've had a lot of decisions, a lot of inflection points, I imagine. Can you share with us what's been one decision in the growth of your startup in these early days and, and how did you go about making that decision? Take us, take us behind the scenes. Uh, yeah, well, the behind the scenes is really fascinating and messy. <laughs> <laughs> messy, right? Um, so um, it, it is true that we've actually been operating for two full years. But the whole okay. thinking, ideation phase, and even early incorporation started mid-2020, and then we incorporated the UK, which is now the subsidiary of our Delaware Corporation. It was incorporated in 2021, and we became mm -hmm. a Delaware Corp, C Corp, uh, December last year. So in between all of this, um, one of the difficult decisions which then ended up being the best decision for everyone involved was uh based on a lesson that i learned from my dad's business and it was about business partnerships and especially your co-founders so uh my dad always had a business in uh automotive business spare parts and when Italy, i was right you're yes, originally yeah, from naples yeah, 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 in Italy. So before I was even born, that business was extremely successful. My dad was in his like late 20s, early 30s. Everything was going great. Then I was born and things started to fall apart. <laughs> Just at the right timing uh, because of a bad partnership. Uh, and, and, and because nothing was regulated. So I don't think at the time my dad knew about shareholders agreements or anything like that. So think that the business went bankrupt because of a business partner poor decisions. And obviously that affected my entire life and financial distress and the way I grew up. But that was a lesson that I've learned very, very early in my days. So as soon as we incorporated Space Dots in the UK, which was January 2021, um, we had a shareholders agreement. So it was a lot of money spent upfront on the lawyers and a lot of months to go through all the different clauses and terms and conditions between myself, uh, James, my present co-founder and CTO, and another James, who was again our original <laughs> third co-founder, let's say. Thank God this happened. Uh, because uh, throughout the thinking phase, especially in 2021, where again, we're all still in a pandemic. So I was in Italy, the guys were here in the UK, we were not really going anywhere. There was no networking events. So all I could possibly do was to do virtual webinars, workshops, anything. And, and the more I was getting the word of space thoughts out, 
the more our third co-founder, who at the time was the CTO and James was the CEO, was reluctant to be so public. And in fact, he wanted us to be in stealth mode until the product was ready, which to be fair for me is insane because there isn't, I don't really believe in the stealth mode. I don't really believe in doing something so secretly unless you are a serial entrepreneur and you actually know what you're doing. Mm. Uh, so we started to see some frictions there in the way of actually running the business. And my gut feeling was already telling me, this is probably not the way I actually want to run my business. It, it, it's in fact the opposite. And, uh, and again, throughout the 2021, we realized that these frictions were, were growing in many ways uh, in terms of the secrecy of the product mm. that the other James wanted to keep and in the way I actually wanted to operate or the level of efforts, both financial and in terms of working hours that we were putting in. So th there were some disparity and then there was a disconnect, let's say, in between actually building a business and for him doing something that he was great at, which is technology. But maybe for him, it was more like um, a playground. Let's say I'm doing these because I'm a nerd and, and I love what I'm doing. But me and James understood that this was a real business. It wasn't mm. just a couple of friends, engineers building something in a garage and keeping it as a family business. We knew since the beginning that we wanted to build a venture scale business. Otherwise, why start in the first place? Um, so at the end of 2021, well, we, we all realized after all the friction and a bit of frustration from myself and James, that we needed to have that conversation because again, we were super tiny. We are still tiny now. We're just a pre-seed startup. But at the time it was just literally three friends trying to make, mm -hmm. to, to understand what are we really doing and how we want to do this. And to just having to sit down and having the conversation, this isn't working for me. This isn't working for you. There are problems here. And having to already take that decision very early on based on, frictions and gut feelings and also a very difficult let's say global crisis where everybody wasn't really doing that well with mental health right we had to take this decision very early on and say this isn't working so and uh, and so we decided uh, well james the other james decided in 2021 the end of 2021 to resign as a director and obviously as, as a co-founder and the great thing is that everything was regulated through the shareholders agreement. If we didn't have that in place, everything would have been way more painful. And because mm -hmm. everything was regulated since the very beginning with a shareholders agreement, we all knew what to do. We all knew how to make these happen through our lawyers. We all Got knew it. what to do with the share, the, you know, shares allotment and transfer and sales from one person to the other one. So this, again, it was a very difficult decision for me because uh, um, we've been working with James and we've been friends with him for years. So again, as I'm saying this, it was more of a friendship breakup than a partner's mm -hmm. business partner's breakup. But at the end of the day, again, very amicably, uh, super regulated, everybody knew where we were standing and at the end of the day it was the best decision for everyone he's now having a job that he loves he sorted out his his, his, his affairs that were actually you know having a, a, a toll on him mentally and we're building space lots in the way we wanted to um so 
again, important having a shareholder agreement since the very beginning, because you never know. You never know what's going to happen. I always say in business, the emotions are not important. What's important is the best for the business. Even if that's your brother who you yes. love dearly, even if that's your best friend. So business interest needs to come first and friendship and, and, and family. And so this is what we did. And at the end of the last year, just to finish this off, this off uh, I bought James shares back because he was still having um, a, um, uh, an ownership on the cap table, but we were going to raise money. And obviously mm -hmm. it looks very dodgy from an investment perspective to have someone on your cap table who's actually not really contributing to the business, it's just there. And so again, very amicably through the shareholders agreement before we did the Delaware flip, I, there was a shell sales. So I became the majority shareholder at the end of October. And then in December, we started raising money. So everything was regulated. So for anyone out there, please have a shareholders agreement in place. You never know at what time and what age something is going to happen. And you need to go back to it. Yeah. Well, I'm hearing at least two decisions, very strategic. One was putting that shareholder agreement mm -hmm. in with friends. So how often yeah. do just start out and it's very fluid and they think oh we don't need to put an agreement we're all getting along so well and so I think it takes courage and discipline to actually do that when it doesn't feel so necessary mm -hmm. and then finding that that point that inflection point again where you decide okay I have this friendship with this person I don't want to damage it it's not good for the business but mm -hmm. when do you the timing for that decision is so tricky and so so delicate so those sound like two very key decisions early on in the startup. It is. It is. And, and again, most of it is based on gut feeling. I mean, the idea of having the shareholders agreement in place, although we were first time founders, in a way is a lesson learned from my childhood, uh, which it's not very common for many people to really see their family business crumble and then realize, ha, that was because my mm -hmm. dad's business partner was not really a nice person. So mm -hmm. I, I tend to have, for as much as I'm emotional about my business, because you know every founder considers the business a baby, but you have to step back and you need to be emotionally detached. And the same happens if you have to fire somebody who's not performing. It's pretty mm -hmm. much the same. You can't really dwell too much on the emotion of everything. You just have to act very quickly because any time you're spending on dwelling on a problem, it's a time that's not going to come back. So, Yeah. And so speaking of building uh, your team, I know mm -hmm. you had a, a key decision because uh, mm -hmm. you're as you're, as you're small and growing, each hire is so uh, crucial yeah. and so important. Uh, can you share just a little bit about you know, a key hire that you made and, what, and a lesson that you learned mm -hmm. through that process? Yeah, so uh, we're nearly 10 now. And as everybody knows, within the founders community or the investors community, the first 10 people are really the core of your business. They could be considered as co-founders in a way, they have ownership of the company and they are the ones who are setting the standards for culture, excellence, execution, everything. Mm. So choosing the right people, it's, it takes a lot of time. First of all, because you are a small business, so you have to convince people to join you probably at a much lower salary 
for much more work. And again, it's high risk, high rewards. You don't know if we're going to go bust the next couple of years. Every, you know, as a founder, as a CEO, I would never think that's going to happen. But, you know, it's, it's on the cards. So it's something that anybody who is joining a startup at such an early stage needs to understand. And as founders, you need to get the people because you love them as human beings and you think that they are amazing, not just academically, not just because their CV is perfect, but because they have the right soft skills or the, the, the right, let's say, again, probably coming more from, from life experiences that they can actually be there and they have the intention to grow with you and they are buying into the mission because it's something that they see themselves building so we've been hiring now a couple of engineers the one of the key hires was uh, lead design um, uh, lead electronics design engineer now back in uh, well this summer we started hiring for that role uh, i think june july and again, the market was a bit difficult. We couldn't find a lot of profiles that were matching what we wanted. Not many were available. For some reason, electronics engineers are in high demand. And it's kind of a niche subcategory sub, sub in the engineering world for some reason. Um, so we've been working with a recruiting agency in the UK. Um, and so we received this profile of a person. And it seemed okay. And it was also the only one we received for months. And mm. this was such a key hire because everything, the, nearly the entire next phase of the development of our product and the first, the, the minimum viable product needs to fly next year. Everything is really in the hands of the electronics engineer because amongst us, we have all the knowledge, software, coding, quality, mechanical, structural, thermal, but nobody's an electronics engineer. So we're like, right. how are we going to do this? This so is really urgent to get this yes. next person. Absolutely urgent. So we went through the hiring process. We went through the different uh, stages of interviews with, uh, with this person. Um, and we said, okay, we'll move to an offer because um, he, seems, he seems okay. He seems like um, he, he, he wants, he's enjoying space thoughts, vision. He has the right skills, maybe very junior. But anyway, we need to move quick uh, because there is no time. We have no time. Mm -hmm. Nobody's coming around. We're never going to get anything better. Anyway, you start going into this kind of fear and the scarcity and then obviously there is the urgency oh my god what's gonna happen we're never gonna get this person and then our products are not gonna fly so it's, it's like a domino effect of spiraling down into the abyss and um so we offered the role to this person um but we knew again gut feeling um myself and james knew weren't fully sure about him not because of him as a person, but because, so we have our offices in London and as, as much as nobody's forced to be in the office at all, but obviously when you're building a company and the product from zero, the being together is, is a massive, is, is a massive element of creating culture. 
understanding how we um, res resolve conflicts. How mm -hmm. do we all perform under stress? How do we all meet milestones? Yeah. How do we all communicating? So we wanted, we, we want our engineers to come into the office from time to time when we have our own whole ends and brainstorming sessions and breakfast together on a Tuesday, all these different elements that are actually building the culture. But he wasn't living in London. He was living very far away, like mm -hmm. two hours away from London. And he said, no, um, we made sure that that was okay for him. Like we questioned mm. that multiple times and they said, no, it's absolutely fine. I'm going to commute. Then I'm going to move to London. Everything is fine. Wow. So he verbally accepted the offer. And then two days after the offer, he came about with a counter offer. I was like, that's not the way it works. Oh. <laughs> you know? Because he made this on account. Big red flag. Said, yeah. Yeah, he, he made his own accounts and he said, no, it's not going to work for me. It's going to be too much. It's going to be too much money to move to London, this and that. And we said, we told you since the very beginning and you said it was fine. So you can't really come back to us saying uh, it's not fine anymore. I want more money. Mm -hmm. and, and I want more money nearly as much as our heads of you know, heads of development is paid, but he has like seven years of experience in the industry. You only have two. So many things were really not adding up and they were confirming our own initial gut feeling that we were probably moving out of fear and scarcity and, and para, pa, panic more than we actually were enthused about this. So um, we said, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, we want to see more profiles. And there you go. The perfect profile came about. Um, mm. Sophia, she she's amazing. She uh, used to work well at the moment. Uh, not really public what she assigned, but uh, she at the moment is coming from the Formula One Mercedes Benz. Uh, she has all the experience and all, all like professional personality wise, wow. who is just perfect. It's exactly what we were looking for, and we thought we were never going to find something, uh, someone so good because of the scarcity of the environment, of the, the, the fear of. So, obviously, our development has shifted a bit like three months, but three months shift on a product development is nothing compared to the fact of hiring someone who's then is not going to do the work, is not going to do what you want them to do. Is, is going to feel miserable about the commuting. And then maybe six months down the line, you have to fire them and you need to start looking for another person. Right. So lessons learned, trust your gut feeling, especially when hiring. And if you have to move, the, 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 let's say, the, the development around to find the right candidate, it's better to do it now rather than regret your decision later because mm. that's going to be way more expensive. Wow. So many important lessons in there because, I mean, but that's how you learn to trust your gut intuition, yeah. right? First you don't, and then you yes. see what almost happens and then you say, yeah. oh, okay, I can trust my intuition. Yeah. And also just understanding that you can shift from this seeming scarcity of there's nobody else to take this role. And then as soon as you, that, that possibility shut down, someone even more ideal. I've had that experience in my life many times where something that I couldn't even imagine happened uh, mm -hmm. after I gave up on the, on the scarcity. So that is a, is a really valuable lesson, I think, for, for, for everyone, but founders in particular. Um, 
Wow, this is this is so amazing. Thank you, Bianca, for sharing all these lessons. And you're only two years in, so yes. I look forward to seeing the journey ahead as you start adding on these these partnerships and really taking your place as a key player in the space industry. Thank you. No, thanks. Thanks really for the questions. It's uh, it's also a way for me to kind of think out loud about the process of everything. So it, it's yeah. quite cathartic to say. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the High EQ Founder. If you enjoyed this conversation, why not share it with a fellow founder? And if you want more strategies for leveling up as a leader, hop onto the mailing list for my High EQ Founder newsletter. Link in the show notes. Until next time, remember, whoever evolves faster wins. Wins.